0: By the way, that was Alexander the Great. I particularly forgot his name because I wanted to identify with that last bit that tells how we're going to forget things when we get old, how we're going to get grey, how things won't work as well as they used to. But anyway, I thought I'd just mention that. I haven't forgotten Alexander the Great. Died in C25 and, uh, yeah, was quite a guy. All right. Now... About six months ago, I was in Glenwood bus station. And there, they have a little bin. And in that little bin, you are invited to put books that you don't want to read anymore, or pick books up that are in there that you do want to read. And there was a book, and its author grabbed, because it was written by a favorite author of mine, it just grabbed my attention. And it was by a guy called Harold Kushner, a rabbi. Does anybody ever recognize that name? You do. Because he wrote a wonderful book that has been of comfort to millions of people, Jew and Gentile. And the book is called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. I give out copies of it to people I meet in pastoral work that are having a hard time, and there are people here who've had copies from me when they've been having a hard time because, you know, we all need, at some stage or other, that lift. So Harold Kushner was the author, and it grabbed my attention because I'd never heard of this book. I just, you know, it was totally new to me, and it's a fabulous, fabulous book, the one that I picked up. And its title is When All You Have Isn't Enough, Living a Life That Matters. And you will note that that is the title of my address today. When All You Have Isn't Enough, Living a Life That Matters. And I hope. That's the motivation that brought us all here today. We all want to live a life that matters. We all want to do something. We all want to serve. We all want to leave footprints in the sands of time. We don't want our lives to be futile, to be meaningless. So we come and we get our inspiration, I hope, in this wonderful, wonderful snowmass chapel. So this guy, Harold Kushner, in his book, he keeps ref- or kept referring to the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's a book that, to be honest, I haven't bothered a lot with in recent times. It was so depressing, you know, <laughs> to read about old age. So, no, I hadn't read a lot of, of, of Ecclesiastes in recent times, and I started studying it again. And I found there were some absolute gems in there. And and in what it is, it's a reflective essay written by an aging man, a guy who's worried that he's done so much and tried so much and nothing, nothing seems to have brought him the happiness that he was looking for. And one of the ways he tried to do it, he tells us at first, he tried to do it by accumulating knowledge, by accumulating wisdom. And in his own words, he became the smartest man around, smarter than all his contemporaries. And he accumulated all this wisdom. And in his own words, with much wisdom came much sorrow and grief. Does that? Can you identify with that? Tell me. Are the cleverest people that you know the happiest? I can't say they are. Are the happiest people that you know clever? Can't say they are. No, he's saying that he tried to find what he was looking for, peace, inner peace, he tried in accumulating wisdom and it didn't work for him. So next, he tried getting rich, wine, women, song, debauchery, having servants, having power, having everything. And the more he got, the more miserable he became. And he describes that, his, his verdict on that, I read it. Vexation of spirit, therefore I hated life. Now that's pretty explicit, isn't it? You. Wouldn't find a guy smiling as he said that. You know, I've thought about this subject often, and I spent seven and a half years of my life working amongst people who were mega rich in many instances. They were the mega rich of Sydney's society. And I had, and one day I was invited to a place that was a mansion you cannot believe how opulent this place was on Bellevue Hill Sydney and as I got out the car there's a nanny and a little child and I interacted as you do with little children I do anyway because I love kids and then I went in to mum and pop and they took me into this place which was their library. And on the walls, there were millions of dollars worth of artwork. And I mean millions of dollars worth. These were originals. It was quite astonishing. They called for the housekeeper to bring us some afternoon tea, and we settled down. Now that little child, that darling little child I'd interacted, she wanted to say, who is this guy? Who is he? What's going on in there with mum and dad? So, in popped the child to have a look. And the woman screamed to the nanny at the top of her voice, Get it out of here! It! When I was a little boy, I used to pray for the poor kids. There was poverty in that house. Poverty. Poverty of spirit. Poverty that be, was beyond my understanding. I was brought up in a working class area. I was brought up where parents were aspirational for their kids to get, be better and, you know, and improve on their lot. Wonderful, wonderful people. I cannot imagine a single mother, and I knew every kid in the district. I cannot imagine any of their mothers ever referring to their child as. Yeah, get it out of here. So you can find poverty in apparent wealth. Now, next the questor tried; he would failed dismally to uh, to find what he was looking for. Vexation of spirit, and therefore I hated life. His verdict. So the next thing he tried it was immersing himself in in work and in different things like that. And again, whatever he achieved was over, over it all was this anxiety, this anxiety that somehow or other one day he's got to die and he's got to leave it all behind and somebody who doesn't deserve might inherit. It all reminds me of a guy I knew called Ellis. And Ellis and I were close friends once in the time before his death. And Ellis was the smartest guy I knew, and he was then about the richest guy I knew at the point that I was friendly with him. And Ellis was absolutely paranoid as he got older about losing his wealth, about the government doing something that would take it away. He was utterly paranoid about it so much so that he literally drove people away because he suspected everybody was a government agent looking for information on him you know it's paranoia it's something you can't talk anyone out of when they've got this bee in their bonnet that bee's going and there's nothing you can say that will affect him yeah and he didn't have long to worry because a couple of years after all of this he he was dead so you know all that worry in vain the last years of his life so we get back to our guy the the questor the teacher the writer of ecclesiastes and the next thing he tried was piety let's try getting close to god and see if that can bridge the gap that can make me happy so he urges others to do likewise, and I'm going to quote from him now. He says, in his, uh, as his book draws to an end, turn to God and look for what's been promised to those who seek him. Eat your food, drink your wine with a joyful heart. Enjoy life with the spouse whom you love. He's getting on track now, isn't he? Let no man say no, let no woman say no. Yes, enjoy life with your spouse. And I guess it's this stuff that got his book over the finishing line when it came to winding up in the canon of the Old Testament. And then he goes on to say a few other things, some conclusions based on his life. And I can identify them, and I'll bet you can too. He says life isn't necessarily fair. He says races aren't always won by the swiftest. He says battles are always won by the strongest, nor wealth acquired by the smartest, or favour by the most learned. Chance can sometimes determine the outcome, and those who live good lives don't necessarily have their path strewn with rose petals. Bad things can happen to good people. Hasn't that been your experience? Isn't it your experience? certainly mine. So we've got Ecclesiastes now, smart, rich, and pious, on track to live a life that matters, but not quite yet. He's a bit like a man who is featured in John's gospel, the man Nicodemus. Remember in the third chapter, this guy Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Now Nicodemus was a pharisee which meant he was immensely pious he was learned jesus referred to him as a scholar of israel teacher of israel he was rich he was a member of the sanhedrin the the governing body that the romans governed palestine through or the holy land through this guy seemingly has everything going for him but something missing in his life so who does he go look up Jesus. He, goes, look, uh, he looks up Jesus. And Jesus tells him he's got to turn his life all the way around as if he were being born again. You remember the story? Nicodemus. So, again, we have this same syndrome. The person that's got everything but it's not quite enough. Now, you compare all of that with the story that we sang the 23rd Psalm. And the 23rd Psalm was written by a man who, in his youth, had been a shepherd. And he dealt with sheep. And those of you that have ever dealt with sheep know they are the dumbest of dumb animals. (laughs) Even dumber than human beings. No, they are the dumbest of dumb animals. And he's dealt with them. And he thinks about his life and he thinks about his relationship with God. And he thinks, God has been with me in everything I've ever done. God's been with me in every situation. You heard it. We sang it, didn't we? You know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want shepherd. That implies human beings like sheep. He thought of all of that And in the final analysis, he was able to proclaim, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A great shout of victory proclaiming that life was going somewhere. Totally opposite to the negativity that we'd heard previously. Now, on the subject of life, There's an American, you may have read what he had to say. He's a billionaire. He was dying in his fifties. And he, too, reflected on his life. His name was Steve Jobs. He was a billionaire, and this is what he wrote. I, that's Steve Jobs, reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In some eyes, my life is the epitome of success. However, aside from my life, I have little joy. In the end, my wealth is only a matter, is only a fact of life that I'm accustomed to. At this moment, lying on my bed, recalling my life, I realize that all the recognition and wealth that I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of my death. You can employ someone to drive the car for you, to make money for you, but you cannot have someone bear your sickness for you. Material things lost can be found or replaced. There's one thing that can never be found when it's lost. Life. Whichever stage of life you're in right now with time, you'll face the day when the curtain comes down. By the way, you can download this on the internet, Steve, is, uh, his last will and testament to people. Treasure love for your family, love for your spouse, love for your friends. Treat yourself well and cherish others. As we grow older, and hopefully riser, we realize that a $300 or a $30 watch, both tell the same time, you'll realize that your true inner happiness doesn't come from the material things of this world. Whether you fly first class or coach, if the plane goes down, you go down with it. (laughs) Therefore, I hope you realize when you have mates, buddies, old friends, brothers and sisters who you chat with, laugh with, talk with, sing songs with, talk about north, south, east, west or heaven and earth, That is true happiness. Don't educate your kids to be rich. Educate them to be happy. So when they grow up, they'll know the value of things and not the price. Eat your food as your medicine. Otherwise, you'll have to eat medicine as your food. And so he goes on, and it's well worthwhile downloading that and reading it. Now, you know your preacher this morning could identify with all of that I consider myself wealthier than I've ever been in my life not wealthy materially not wealthy monetarily but wealthy because I got some really good friends and I love them dearly and enjoy their fellowship and I've got a wonderful church family here in this congregation and I thank you that Over all these years, you've welcomed Brenda and I here. It's been marvellous being part of your church family. We love it. So I'm a very, very, very wealthy man in so many ways. So we've heard from Steve Jobs. We've heard from Jesus. We've heard from Ecclesiastes, the teacher. We've heard from Ian Sanderson. We've heard from the psalmist. So lastly, I'm going to recount what Rabbi Kushner wrote in one of his concluding chapters. And it's entitled, Why I Am Not Afraid to Die. Here's what he had to say. So many people look upon life as an accumulation of treasures, trying to accumulate treasure. But every new friend we make, every new experience, Every new bit of knowledge we acquire, every act of kindness that lightens the load of a fellow human being is part of that accumulation. Now Harold Kushner in his ministry attended many dying people and he said it's not dying that many people are afraid of, it's coming to the end of their days and never having done been a real person, had real relationships, and felt real, never having achieved what they have wanted to achieve spiritually and with people. So sometimes, if you ever wonder if your own life matters, try this one for a remedy. No one could tell me where my soul might be. I searched for God, but God eluded me. And then I searched out my brother. My brother, man, and I found all three. My soul, my God, and my humanity. Think of that. And now instead of a final prayer at this stage, we are going to listen and then sing along with the chorus to a song I heard first as a little boy. And the words are self-explanatory and it's sung by a British tenor, sir harry seekham would you play it please adam Uh, play it once and then second time we're going to sing along with the chorus you'll find the words in your bulletin Then my li- <coughs> shall not be in vain. Then my living shall not be in vain. If I can help somebody as